Welcome to Retail Intel. I'm Ashley Casey, Senior Director of National Accounts here at Phillips Edison. Every year, Phillips Edison hosts an annual meeting to bring together our nationally spread group together in person for several days of learning, team building, and fun. For the past couple of years, this meeting has had to look a little different. This year, we hosted our virtual XP week focused on experience. As part of the event, Mike Conway and I were honored to host Mark Keith and Jimmer Bolden, respectively of Chipotle Mexican Grill and Robex, for a fun conversation about their plans, innovations, and even their favorite menu items. Mark and Jimmer provide insight into how the recent years have affected their companies, what sets them apart, the ideal site for each concept, and the positive changes that difficult circumstances brought. Thank you to Jimmer and Mark for joining us and for being great retail partners. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, this is Retail Intel Live, and we've got a couple of great guests. Um, first, we'll do some just brief introductions. Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm Mike Conway. I'm happy to be a part of my, I believe it is my 17th annual meeting. Uh, they're all new and different, and this one has, has been great, as have the other ones been. So Ashley Casey joins me. Senior Director of National Accounts. She's been with Pico five and a half years. And then we've got two special retailer guests, uh, Mark Heath and Jimmer Bolden. Mark is with Chipotle. Jimmer is with Robex Fruit Fresh Juices. And what we thought this would be a really interesting kind of dynamic from a retailer standpoint, because on one hand with Chipotle, you've got 3,000 locations. They've been around for uh, 20 plus years. And then with Jimmer and Robex, it's an up and coming brand out of LA. And I believe he can tell us more, but I believe they've got about 90 open. So kind of a tale of two two retailers. And uh, with that, let's just, let's jump in. Both Mark and Jimmer start off just by introducing themselves and walking us through their respective brands. Hi, my name is Jimmer Bolden. I'm with Robex Fresh Juices, also known as uh, Fresh Juices and Smoothies, also known as Robex Juice. Uh, we have been up and coming since 1996. The, the, the best part about that is that uh, we've learned a ton from our experiences, uh, you know, which have, have not all been great, but they've all been profitable. Uh, you know, we've got about 90 stores. We actually got to about 180 at one point in time. We are a boutique, um, you know, kind of a niche franchise franchise. Um, and we're, uh, we've gone through some hard times and have come out on the other side. Uh, I've been with the company since 2003. Uh, it's actually St. Patrick's Day, so I'm coming up on an anniversary here. Started in franchise development, uh, I'm sorry, in franchise administration when we first started franchising, got into franchise sales and then business development. And my the area I'm in now is where I'd like to be, which is, uh, which is real estate. Uh, prior to that, I worked for nine years with Blockbuster. <clears throat> Uh, in, in the 90s when it was really fun and exciting. Uh, and, and then prior to that in Washington, D.C., I worked for the largest, um, the large, at that time, the largest uh, commercial real estate developer in the city, uh, the Oliver Carr Company. So I've had, had experience on both the landlord and tenant side. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I have been at Chipotle 22 years. I started as a broker for Chipotle. Uh, they were a client back in 98, went to work there in 99 uh, full time. Around 22 locations at that time, or I should say we opened our 22nd location in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Cincinnati was shortly thereafter um, and went public in 06. Um, that's when McDonald's divested their financial interest and uh, 
Since 06, we've been public, um, currently 3,000 locations, all company operated. Uh, I think our market cap's like 41 billion these days. And uh, we opened 215 last year. And the the public guidance is we'll open 235 to 250 restaurants this year. Great. Now, I, go ahead, Ashley. I was just curious if that's all domestic. I know you guys are international. Um, little bit. I mean, you know, Toronto or Canada, I should say, north of the border is international. We went there several years ago. Um, you know, growth is picking up there. It's a very difficult place to uh, to do business. Um, it is a landlord market, uh, which I, it's okay, but it's not as much fun when it's a landlord's market, right? Um, and just very different, um, you know, but the, the sales are good. The costs of doing business are much different. Um, the, and I hope nobody on the phone is Canadian because uh, my, my, my quip there is the lack of urgency that we get up there is not the same as we are used to here. So that's very challenging. So uh, international overseas, you know, a little bit in Europe, uh, you know, London, uh, France and Germany. We have a managing director over there now that lives there and we support him, you know, as much as possible, but uh, ultimately it's his business unit. Good deal. So as far as growth and, you know, one thing that I know because we're in growth mode as well, and we, we are always interested in, in hearing about different parts of the country, what's hot, what's not. Can you guys speak a little bit about, you know, areas of growth in the U.S.? Sure. Um, and by the way, when we, when we when we grow up, we want to be like Chipotle. I don't I don't know if we'll have uh, three thousand locations, but uh, but we certainly want it we certainly want to grow. I looked at that <laughs> stock price today. Pretty good, fourteen eighty nine, I believe. All right. I hope. Um, we are yeah we're we're on a growth uh, on, a, on a real growth pattern here uh, after really kind of pulling in the reins for several years and focusing on uh, average unit volumes you know, and success of our, our existing franchisees. And, you know, the result is, is what happens in franchisee. Franchising is that existing owners are opening more stores and they're also telling a better story to franchise candidates because life is yep. much better for them. You know, we're really on a roll since the pandemic began. Our store sales are actually up uh, 35 to 50% um, since March of 2020, which has just been a revelation to us. And there's some, some reasons for that. But uh, very excited for our franchise owners, and we're starting to attract more attention from new markets. So we're opening in Salt Lake, which we see as a very hot market. Cincinnati, which I'll ask why I asked about that. Who's in Cincinnati? Dallas, we've got our fingers crossed for a deal right now. Miami is a little bit slower, but we expect things to pick up there. Denver, so Salt Lake, Denver, Cincinnati, and Kansas City are really the three, uh, the four hottest markets for us right now. Mark, what are you seeing? I never know how to answer this question. Um, you know, we're growing everywhere. I mean, certain markets are uh, what we consider established, which have been around a long time and are, you know, relatively highly built out. But, uh, you know, Cincinnati, Columbus would qualify, Kansas City, Minneapolis, lots of stores. Um, we just keep lowering our, our, our per capita ratio of stores. Um, uh, it's, it's almost probably roughly one per... 40, 45,000 in most of the Ohio markets. Um, we'll get Atlanta to that soon, Ashley. Um, and so that that is a indirect way of saying 
that the Southeast, because of the, the growth of the population, um, there really, is, I can't call it a new region of the country, but when we entered there, it was one of the last regions of the company of the country to enter. So consequently, with the growth that, that's there, the existing population base, you know, Florida's growing and, you know, Atlanta, Georgia's growing, South Carolina, North Carolina, you know, it just continues to create, uh, you know, a better trajectory for us. Uh, you know, we'll open anywhere from 13 to 15 restaurants in just the Atlanta market this year. Um, it, hopefully more like 15 if you guys can deliver that Riverdale uh, or that Rivermont station deal. <laughs> uh, we're on it. We're on it. We'd love to have it this year. Uh, one thing that I read, it, you know, I, you've got 3,000 locations, and then I read somewhere that you were, you know, your, your ultimate goal is to double that over time. So, you know, 6,000 locations. And then one interesting piece of information that I saw was, you're starting to go into the, some smaller towns and your your volumes are the same as, you know, in a small town. Are you seeing that? Yeah, it's hard to tell what, you know, where, where, where the true line on the small town is. I mean, we've got numerous examples um, across the country, the ones that you, you all be more familiar with. And, and because we've got more time in the Ohio or the Midwest markets, there would be more examples in Ohio, we've gone into small towns, you know, Tiffin, Ohio. I mean, Finley, we have two restaurants, um, you know, Salem, Ohio. That's one of the smallest markets uh, ever, you know, open great. They level off a bit. What happens in small towns is when you open, it's a line out the door. Everybody's losing their mind over. They finally got a Chipotle, something new. And, you know, we just try to keep it steady. So lots of, you know, smaller towns um, for sure in more mature areas of the country. Uh, that makes sense. That's how we've done it. We've been very methodical, um, sometimes a little bit too much so. We've stayed out of markets later than we should have. You know, we entered Louisville a little bit later than we should have, but, you know, or, or even Indianapolis. Uh, it's because we just really focused on our core where results are great and don't get distracted. Um, and that's probably a function of us being a company owned and operated. Um, so that's, you know, that's generally how it's worked. And, uh, you know, 6,000, 7,000, whatever the number is. I don't know. I, I almost hesitate to ask our CEO. It'll be 10,000 next time we talk to him. Um, right. I, I don't think I'll be around then. And, and I, 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 let me say, I, I may not be on this earth at that time. Um, I mean, look, we're not going to open 500 restaurants next year. You know, we don't we don't bite into that. We, you make mistakes if you try to go too fast. We add headcount. We've added real estate managers, design managers, construction managers to the team. So, you know, we're adding the headcount to execute on it. But, um, you know, deals don't just drop out of the sky and open six months later. I know Jimmer can um, speak to that. That might be for another day, but you've really worked and done a great job at revitalizing the brand. Um, but I am hoping Atlanta will come back on your radar at some point uh, for Robeck. And Mark, I wanted to just mention, you opened in the Brookhaven Chambly area probably two or three years ago now in a Whole Foods Center. And yep. every time I go, that it doesn't matter what time, the line is out the door. There's no drive-through there, but the line is just insane. And I yeah, like no. to go at like 7.30 or 8 at night, so in my pajamas. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, Use your app. Use your app. Um, yeah, get a designated brand. That's a good segue because I think that's, that's where we're going. Segue. Um, so I wanted you to chat with Jeremy. You a few times, haven't you? <laughs> so have you. Yeah. 
So, Jimmer, I remember you and I met back in 2019 in L.A., and you had talked about the app integration at that point. And little did you know it was going to become so crucial to your business um, in 2020 and beyond. And so I wanted to speak to both of you about sort of technological advances that have occurred, especially within the last two years, you know, Maybe we can start with Mark and your Chipotle lanes and the Chipotle app. And I know you guys have some secret menu products that are app exclusive. So, um, Mark, if you want to start and then and then we'll hop on to Jemmer. Sure. Um, you know, as far as the Chipotle lanes go, you know, it's been a hot thing. Um, we kind of fell into it. Um, we've had customers ask us, um, when are you guys going to add a drive through? Um, we took over an existing Sonic in Pickerington, Ohio. Uh, it was actually going to be the Tasty Made concept. You know that didn't happen, so we said, "Well, let's just add another Chipotle, Chipotle to the trade area." We had one to the north, and it's got a window. My gosh, we got to use it. We've tried to stay away from being a drive-through concept. You know, I don't know if it's that's so 1980s kind of thing or not, but it's hard to customize. We, you know, the order. Um, and, and talk into a menu board. So the app and digital, you know, the way that everybody uses apps, we simplified our app, made it better, to, easier to use than ever. And, you know, you get on it, it's, you know, your menu board is your phone at Chipotle, right? So you order ahead, uh, you get a designated pickup time. We do not geofence our lots, you know, like some companies are doing. Maybe that's in the future, I don't know, but it's simply come at a certain time and, and you know, Mike, you and I were talking about it. There's a limitation as to how many orders we can accept in 15 minute increments. Um, so that being said, we kind of control how many people are queuing in the line. I guess it's a conversation with cities that are saying, wait a minute, drive through. We don't, we don't know about these drive throughs. And we're like, look, it's not Chick-fil-A. It's not Starbucks. It's used, but it's not wrapping uh, building and spewing out into the uh, into the road. Right. So why don't we jump to, to Jimmer on the technology sure. front? What are you seeing? Well, uh, you know, Ashley does know I, I expressed to her we went to uh, Toast POS in uh, the summer of 2019. Uh, we delayed on uh, we started online ordering, but we delayed on doing delivery until January of 2020. And sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Right. You know, and w- what happened with COVID is that you know, you had a lot more people who were doing doing online and and uh, delivery. And before that, I think people didn't realize they could get juices and smoothies and bowls, and then now our avocado toasts uh, delivered. You know, and we we are subject to time and temperature, but that doesn't mean we can't deliver. And you know, I think coupled with that, you had a lot of older people who weren't using technology, who like our product, and found out how easy it is to do online, getting their groceries, you know, getting food delivered, et cetera. And I think between those two things, really, really, uh, we really took off. And we have some stores that are doing 30% in online sales. And it's just been a, a huge boost for us. The average ticket for online is, uh, is much higher. The average ticket for delivery is almost double. Uh, so that's been really great for us. And we're, we're revamping our app right now. We did a, a modification of it to try to make it a little easier to use. And our goal now is to make it even, even easier to use. Uh, but it's been fantastic. You know, we've integrated our rewards program, et cetera. So uh, it, technology has been good for us. And the big thing for us, too, was delivery, um, the consolidation of delivery services. You know, we first started delivery, and you're seeing, you know, 30, 35, 40% for the delivery charge. You know, it just doesn't make sense. But now, with it being integrated, 
you know, through through uh, we, we we use Olo and Rails, that's become a lot more uh, profitable to do that. So very excited about that. Love, you know, it, we're a grab and go business anyway. And people love the fact that they can just walk in and pick up their smoothie that, you know, once they've, once they've ordered it. So it's, uh, it's good. And, and we want to, uh, we, we actually, we want to be back in Atlanta. We were there early on right. in our career yeah. and, and, and we know that's going to be a great market for us, regardless of our, comp yeah. our comp uh, competition there. <laughs> I, I, I'm recalling the Robux that I visited um, both with you and the one that we recently integrated into our portfolio um, up north, and none of them have had drive-throughs. So you must you yeah. must do this order ahead and like walk in, pick up, and store thing very well. Well, we do, and, and we we do ha actually have two drive-throughs: one which is an official drive-through, and one which is kind of an ad hoc drive-through. Uh, we have a drive-through location that uh, franchisee ground leases space, built the building. He's a GC. Uh, building for a bunch of concepts, and it's one of our top stores. The other one is in Prescott Valley, Arizona, and happened to be an abandoned drive-through. Even though we're an inline space, we had a window in the back, and you know the medical user didn't need the drive-through, so we we were allowed to use that. And we would love to get drive-throughs, but we're you know we're competing against folks like Chipotle, and now you know we know in markets that Chipotle, Panera, Starbucks are only going drive-throughs. And by the way, I want to tell Mark we want their inline spaces. <laughs> we'd, we'd love to have more drive-thrus because it, it, the, the one that we've had has been very successful for us, but the, our, our top 25% of stores, you know, which the AUV is probably double what it was two years ago, only one of them is a drive-thru. Well, I know our, our agents, our leasing folks like to hear that because while it's been an initiative of, of ours to implement these pickup windows and drive-thrus where possible, there's only so many, right? That's so right. Yes. <laughs> we love to do an inline store, especially um, a brand like Robex when we can. Yeah. Well, listen, we we we'd love to have drive-throughs. They're not necessary. If if you can give us great locate great inline locations, we'll take them. And by the way, so you know, we're still I'm still interested in Lakewood. We have our first location with you in Lakewood, Ohio, and we are, we're looking at Lakewood Commons in Denver. I'm hoping that we can get that that we can eventually expand out to that that center. Attention, Marissa, Visconti, and Vasily. <clears throat> I know, I know. Yeah, you got it. Hey, Jim, are, we, are yes. you utilizing ghost kitchens at all? We're not. We're not. Um, you know, what happens is uh, people do events. They make the product in-house and take it out in coolers. We do have one person who did really started doing a lot of outside business. He got himself into schools, which is not easy to do as a smaller concept, but he has a trailer and he does events and he does school stuff with that. But most people, if they're going to go say to a 10 K race on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, you know, they'll make the smoothies in house, freeze them, use the, use the, the last made first and do it that way. So we haven't, uh, haven't gotten into that. We haven't had the need for it yet. Gotcha. Okay. And do we have Mark on? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Just give us the rundown on digital kitchens versus, you know, the new, is this your new prototype or is this just something? An uh, it's a, con it's a conversion of existing banks. So, I mean, it's only prototypical for the sense that if we repeat that one again, yeah, we, but the, the next one will likely have a little, maybe a little different dimension, a different size. This one has a pickup window on the far side of the building it has a walk-up window in the front. Um, you cannot walk in the store and order your food. 
you know, customize it, if you will. So we still believe in the walk-in and order and customization. You know, that's still important. But so out of your 250 this year, new, how many of these would you say you'd estimate? Digital pitchings, uh, very few, very few, very, very few. It's a deliberate thing. It's, you know, we, we picked uh, Cleveland uh, to try this. We actually opened two others that are digital seam locations that actually have walk-in customization. They are in less less than regional type of trade areas, fill-in areas. Uh, we find that we have customers there will impact existing stores, which is fine to a point. It's all our money. We're not impacting a franchisee. So that's that's a nice, uh, you know, advantage. Um, those have very limited seats, but you can queue down the line and order and uh, sit down if there's a seat uh, or take it with you. Gotcha. And then as far as ghost kitchens, I just asked Jimmer, are you a part of that model or how's that no, working out we for you? Don't. We, I just got an email from somebody that wanted to talk about ghost kitchens and I just deleted it. And like, like the new layouts have a second make line called a, called a digital make line. Uh, you'll see it when you order uh, through the queue. It's usually if there's a window, it's over near the window, of course. If there's no window, it, you can still see it. It's it's identical to the front make line. The orders come in on digital screens and, and the, the workers make it and uh, have it ready for you. Gotcha. Very good. Before we move oh, from technology, I have a question for Mark. I, I just Googled like Chipotle and technology in, in preparation for this meeting, and I saw that Chipotle is integrating guacamole gauges. Have, are you up to speed about this, or can you fill no. us in? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're why vision they, sensors, apparently. To why, would they, detect why would they tell me that? <laughs> like. I don't like I say I just work here, right? <laughs> don't believe everything but, um, you Google, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is that not real? No, I don't know. Would you say it was? They're called vision sensors, and they say that they gauge guacamole production so that you can tell whenever a guacamole bin is getting too low or whatever bin it may be—the pico de gallo, etc.—and um, I mean, and it alerts the employees to refill. If Google says so, maybe it is true. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. If Google says so, it's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, if I may, uh, just in technology, the, the two things that we are looking at are um, kiosk ordering in store and also kiosk ordering for nearby businesses, particularly fitness center. Um, cool. where, wherever we wherever we've gone, almost almost every location where we have a fitness a fitness location in the center, they've asked if we can put an ordering station in for them so people can order their pickup on their way out. Um, so we're exploring that now, um, but not but not ghost kitchens. We, as I said, customization great. We do uh, we are looking at the um, you know the walk up kind of locations too, which would be very small, um, nothing inside. But you you still we still want people to be able to customize their order, um, which they will do online, and then you know you can save your order online like most apps. So, and Mark, we want your we want your inline sites, Mark. All right, sign up. Of <laughs> all the spaces we move out of with uh, Phillips Edison to the the pad of your center. That's right. That? We'll, That's right. We'll stay with you. We'll stay we with have, you. We've got 14 now. We've got three in the works, just so you know, Mark. So, so you guys, you have a, a question here on deal structure, not for me to take over the MC here, but if you want to talk about deal structure, I love talking about I, that. Just briefly, I think briefly, you know, what, what you're seeing now versus – two years ago, it'd be helpful to, to hear that. 
Mm, deal structures. I'm not seeing much, I mean, from the landlord community deal structure. I mean, our deal structure has pretty, been pretty consistent. We, uh, we don't like to do ground leases. Um, we either have you build or a developer build a two tenant building with a Chipotle or a freestanding uh, Chipotle. We've got a hand in glove concept with that, which we really try to get our landlord developers to, you know, it doesn't make any sense to build a single tenant, 2,350 square foot building with two different architects, one designing the shell, one doing our tenant fit out and two different general contractors. So we try to suggest that, and we've done a lot of it, especially in Cincinnati with a small developer there, you know, they hire our architect, uh, they hire our GC and simple, simple, simple right? Deal structure on like that Fazoli's that I have an example of. Yeah. We don't, we don't really love taking as is 20, 30, 40 year old buildings, even with large amounts of TI. Um, in this case, developers bought those built that building. There's another one uh, in Muncie, the same guy did it. He's able to or willing to take our work letter and convert the building into as clean of a as clean of a new cold dark shell as you can get in an old building when you don't think it should be torn down. And then we, you know, it's like our work letter for new construction, basically. So we mitigate our investment. He gets a rent factor, obviously, on the investment, on the money he's spending. And we don't have surprises, change orders, you know, hidden conditions, all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, developers are a good tool for us to, to, to mitigate how much time we have to spend on uh, on an individual project because we're just doing too many too many new stores. Good deal. So, you know, we all have learned lessons over the last couple of years, uh, specifically, you know, through COVID. Are there any key takeaways that either one, Jim, or do you have anything to add to that? Any takeaways that you've seen over the last couple of years? Well, I, I think <laughs> the landscape's really changed for us because, you know, our, our AUV has grown, grown from 500 to almost 700 in the last 18 months. Wow. It gives us a lot more flexibility in the spaces that we consider, uh, both in uh, in terms of quality and size, right? So that's that's that really has changed a lot of our calculus for looking for locations. Uh, we're still being very judicious about that because our goal is to open great locations like everybody, but we're at a place where we've got happy franchisees, profitable franchisees, we like to keep them that way. I think the big thing is, is the big revelation was online ordering. And I think that what COVID has done is, is uh, and it's very similar with Chipotle, where people don't want to be inside. Even if, even if they're not thinking about it consciously, subconsciously, people don't want to be inside for a long time. For instance, when we started, when, when at the beginning of the pandemic, by the beginning of April, we had plexiglass, employees in masks, and social distancing stickers. And we actually got, a, people gave us a hard time for that. Where you know someone would come in, they go like, "Oh my God, you're, you're, is this person sick because they're wearing a mask? You're an employee." I mean, literally within a couple of weeks, it was, "I'm not coming in unless your employee has a has a mask and has plexi." And I think the health aspects of our food and kind of what we promoted in terms of trying to protect the public really helped us a lot. So I think that was that was particular to that time. But the big thing I think is looking at what online ordering and delivery has done for us to introduce us to a whole new population of people and allow us to really kind of leverage that. That's great. That's great. Mark, what do you have to add to that? COVID lesson. Um, I'm very happy I'm not in operations. Okay. 
to say the least, um, yeah. especially with, you know, dealing with COVID and employee uh, call-offs and all of those kind of touch points and uh, craziness. Um, it, it really didn't affect um, development. We have lots of obviously metrics, AIP metrics, and one of our AIP metrics is how many site assessments we send, which is basically signed LOIs, work letters, a signed deal. So, and we, you know, we need your plans, et cetera, but we can't just send them, you know, arbitrarily, but the entire company benefits from what we do in development from building the pipeline. How about that? Which creates a lot of sign on um, and, and, and buy in with operations, the operations RVPs, they understand we're a growth company and, you know, they just really do not get in our way. We involve them, but, you know, it, the, the, the boat's moving fast and, you know, that's a great metric. And uh, we, we knew that during the pandemic that we could still meet that metric when lots of our other AIP metrics would probably be hard to meet within the company, right? Because, you know, sales were down, uh, everything was off kilter. But we we took it upon ourselves to to beat that metric and then you know build the pipeline. It's all about the pipeline. Very good. Ashley, Sounds what's like next? you both um, really navigated a difficult situation very well. You're both in growth mode and have seen you know sales increases and an increased amount of innovation for both of your concepts. So we're happy to call you tenants or neighbors as we like to call call our um, shopping center tenants. So. Awesome Absolutely. Job. And, you know, the one thing, especially just, you know, kind of doing a little more research uh, prior to this call, I really had no idea, Jimmer, that you offered, you know, as many products as you do. So I think that's great to see. And Mark, I would love to hear from both of you just what you have in the in the pipeline as far as new new products, new products. You know, that's been a thing in the passage. We didn't have any. Uh, we were very conscious about execution throughput of the line and adding uh products um when we when we have added a product because the new leadership understands you have to offer some you know we never use the word lto limited time offer we now do it with you know the uh uh the carne asada you know and and that's been very popular and then we take it off and we put something else on and so it, it, it's it's a it's a it's a good business decision for sure. And our new leadership understands that, but you know, the quesadilla was always available, but it wasn't really on the menu. We didn't execute it very well. Um, you know, now, now we have these, these turbo chefs that are, you can see them. There's either one or two in every restaurant. Uh, we do have, we do tell people that, you, you know, it's only available on the app and I have many a friend that is not happy about that. Like, why can't you make it in the store? It's like, you know, we probably can if the line's not long and you're a practical, uh, well-trained employee and you ask for it, they probably should make it, right? Common sense. But, you know, it doesn't always work that way. So the idea is uh, to use it on the app. It's an order ahead. And that way it doesn't get in the way of the throughput. Mark, now I know who to blame when my daughter says, why aren't they making the quesadillas in store anymore? <laughs> well, I use the app. You know, I have we have, we do that. I, I'm I'm walking distance from your store. So when you do innovate, I'm looking forward to it. We're you're actually uh, in on West L.A. You're in a in a former Robex location. Oh, wow. On National and Barrington. Yeah, I don't know that one. Yeah. Very small space, which I was surprised with, with not great parking, which I'm surprised that you all went into. 
but it just lets you know that you don't, you know, you can't always tell at first blush, but it's got great walking traffic in the neighborhood. Yeah. We actually reopened with a new franchisee across the street from there. So it, it worked out for us. But um, for us, as far as new products, our, our bowls, when we expanded our bowl selection, really took off our acai bowls. And when we introduced toast this past year, uh, premium avocado toast, after a lot of work on trying to make it something that was efficiently made, but really, really uh, premium, really good. And we're adding two more toasts and an LTO, which we do LTOs anywhere from three to five times a year, because we're, look, we're always looking for kind of on-trend uh, products, right? Uh, on-trend tastes and, and experimenting with those. And we do an LTO, and, and if, it, if, it's, uh, if it sells well, we may add it to the menu or it may just stay in you know, an available menu in a store. So we're always looking for something. So whatever you come up with as the next taste, you say, oh, we're going to probably be doing that. But the big thing is uh, we our toasts have really taken off. And I thought it was only going to be California, maybe West Coast, but it's been all around the country. So we're in Miami, we're in Connecticut, um, you know, we're in D.C., we're in Maryland, we're in uh, Cleveland. Cleveland actually is one of our best markets and one of our best mm-hmm. markets for toast and smoothies, even in the wintertime, which is which is you know, amazing because you've got you've got the occupancy costs and, and labor costs that are so much lower than California, but they're doing the same kind of numbers. So that's great. Um, so that's all great. things I, are mistakes by the lake, I guess. Yeah. No um, way. Speaking of product lines, whenever I visited Jimmer, he in LA at one of the stores, he was like, "Well, do you want to take a shot?" And I was like, "Wow, what are we what are we doing here? It's a Robex." <laughs> and then he comes over with Wheatgrass. these things that they. They literally made out of grass in front of yeah. you. Um, yeah. And so we took wheatgrass shots. It was my first time. Um, I think it might have been my last time, Jimmer, but I did really enjoy the um, product sampling of the peanut butter smoothie. <laughs> uh, everything else is is grade A, um, and that's definitely for someone. Uh, we keep getting we keep, keep getting pushed for an LTL, which is Robex After Dark, and that includes real shots. Okay. Wow. Interesting. We we actually we actually do have had customers who come in and buy like large uh, pineapple uh, polar pineapple, and then they take it home and mix rum. So I've got a quiz for you, Cincinnati people. Yes. How many Chipotle's are in the Cincinnati market? Not just the city of, but the 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 market. Oof. I'll take a guess. So so Cincy MSA. Yikes. Um, put putting us on the spot here. I'm gonna guess. <laughs> I'm going to guess uh, 15. Oh, my gosh. Ashley, do better. Do better. 35. 54. Oof. Oh. Oh, that was way <laughs> off. Wow. Yeah. Well, when you said that you're opening 15 in Atlanta, that's that's where my head went. So yeah. That's just um, one year. Right. I think we've got wow, 70, 70 there. That is great. Well, speaking of Q&A, I think we're probably at the point uh, in the session here where if there's any questions out there uh, for our guests, now would be the time, I'd say. We are following Chipotle, by the way. They're one of our strong co-tenants that we uh, that we look for. I was thinking you guys go really well together. Whenever my husband is like, let's do something fast, and he always likes to be a little um, naughty when it comes to his meal choices, he loves Chipotle. But I love it because whoa, I can whoa, make what it. Are you saying? Naughty? I'm getting there. Wow. I'm, I'm getting naughty. There. about that? <laughs> but you Bro can make it really easy, right? There's a marketing handle there, Mark. 
you know, yeah, that's there's, right. There's, that's there's, right. there's something there. He, he walks in and he goes, I want the um, burrito. And he gets like an extra wrap. And then he goes, extra cheese. They start putting cheese on it. And he goes, no, no, no. I said extra cheese. <laughs> so back cheese in the early it. days, back in the early days, prior to McDonald's, I don't think they liked it so much. We used to have t-shirts that really popular in college campuses that said, usually when you roll this something this good, it's illegal. But <laughs> that right. wouldn't even be true anymore, would it? That's right. That's right. Not most places. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You guys are doing a great job of site selection. I, I I really say every time I I see a new Chipotle, I'm like, wow, they you know they hit another one, you know. So yeah, we get lucky sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. My point there, Mark, was that it's easy to make it healthy as well. You know, you go in and get the salad, and so I'm more sure. of a health-oriented eater. So Absolutely. I think Robex and Chipotle are excellent. Probably seek the same type of customer when it comes down to it. Absolutely. Yeah, fresh, well, custom, fresh and customizable, and you know, it's you know, there's certainly similarities there. Um, and I'm seeing a question in our box here. Um, so how do you, how do you distinguish yourself from competitors? And Mark, if you want to start off, you know, I mean, I always go with the food. I mean, you know, the food is 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 made fresh in the restaurant. It's cooked there. It's not brought in. That's um, kind of always been our. You know, I, I you know we used to call in the early days. It's like you know, the whole fast casual, quick casual, uh, you know, it's a new word, right? And then lo and behold, of all people, our founder and chef would, would refer to us in an indirect way as fast food, which, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not our, that's not our thing, right? Fast food, you know, bad connotation, but he coined it in a way that made sense. He said, you know, we, we would like, you know, we want to change the way people think about and eat fast food. So that was the way he 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 characterized that. That's um, made a lot of sense, right? You know, look, the idea is you want to get it fast, right? So not a bad word, but you know, the general connotation of fast food in some people's minds and you know, and cities even is you know, oh no, we don't want another fast food restaurant. But um, you know, so we've we've been able to differentiate ourselves, I think, primarily because of the uh, of the of the food. And Jimmer, I know you have a few competitors on the market as well. So, yeah, it, it's it's actually great to see. I mean, when I when I first started here in, in 2003, that you know the category was still pretty small, and it's really expanded. You know, where you know you now you're find you finding you know juices juice in in every store that you go into your grocery store and convenience store. Our big focus when our founder started the company, uh, David Robertson started the company, was to focus on great tasting products that were mostly good for you. He really kind of knocked off what was then the largest competitor at the time, uh, the largest purveyor of smoothies and juices at the time, and said, hey, you know, we're going to, they, they've done pretty well. We're going to follow what they do. And then, you know, at some point, well, they'll say, okay, we're going to come up with our own brand identity, but this is the way to get started. Our brand identity is really creating uh, delicious products that make people happy. And we've always really focused on taste. Um, so our supplements are really high quality premium supplements that blend well. So when somebody wants something, it's not gritty, there's no aftertaste, you know, and using high quality products, you know, we work with Dole using really high quality produce when we're doing our juices. And one of the things that we found out, as much as we love our concept and much as we have loyal customers, but in doing brand studies, which we've recently updated, the biggest factor in people choosing our in our category is convenience, no matter how loyal they are. 
though therefore that factors into how we select locations, right? Parking, visibility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, good, strong co-tenancy. But when they come, the chance that you're going to convert them into someone who comes into the store three to three to seven days a week, just like they will get their coffee. And so what we want to do is make sure that when we get them in the door, they have a really great experience, uh, a real, real strong focus on customer service. Um, you know, I know everybody says that and that's, you know, but when you come in and you get your, your, uh, your nuts about protein, you want it to taste the same every time. And that's what our big focus is on is trying to keep things simple enough that you can, that we can duplicate that, um, you know, wherever, whatever store you go to. And that's what people respond to. And we probably have time for maybe two more here. So the the labor market right now is really challenging, as I think we've all been exposed to. And so how do you keep your employees engaged to stay working in your stores? Well, I can tell you with us, it's uh, one of the things that, that employees tell us is they like the fact that there's no, that they when they go home, they're still smelling fresh. Right. Because we're not, we're not, we're not, trust me. I know I did that. I worked, I worked in, in, uh, in fast food for eight years when I was in high school and college and I'd come home and it's just like, cause we're frying, we're deep frying and we're making sandwiches, but uh, you know, that they, that, you know, it's a fresh smell when they come home. They're, they're good with that. They like the fact that they engage with people multiple times per week. You know, they know their customers. So when they see you pulling up, they're starting to make your beverage already because it's just like you get your caramel macchiato at Starbucks. People get the same thing. They get the pollen pineapple. They get the mahalo mango. They get the infinite orange, whatever it is. And um, so there's there's that connection. You know, there's they can pretty much kind of play music that works for them, you know, or they can hear music that works for them in the store. And it's just, I think, a cleaner environment. And, and I think that the customer engagement is what really helps people. You know, folks are, are certainly concerned about the, you know, the prevailing wages going up. Um, it's a little easier for us to take given the increases that we've had in sales over the last uh, year and a half. Mark? Man, that's a tough one. Hiring. Yeah, I mean, I only have to hire development people. So, um, <laughs> but we've had, we've had, you know, new head counts and even some 15 and 16 year old year employees, uh, you know, move on just a couple. So um, long tenure, but, you know, they moved on. So, uh, that's been a little bit of a challenge for me because we've got to bring them in, integrate them, train them versus somebody that's been here so long. But, you know, such is life, right? In the store, golly, I mean, you know, educational opportunities and, and things like that that, you know, you have to offer people. And, you know, if they don't take advantage of it, shame on them. But there's always, you know, there's a certain amount of turnover in, in the restaurant business, right? I mean, the numbers are astounding. You know, I think it's, it gives a lot of people an opportunity to grow in their career at Chipotle. I mean, there's, there's a number of people in operations. If, if you stick with it and you do a good job, you're going to get promoted from, you know, one, one role to the next. And next thing you know, you might be a general manager and then you might be an area manager. I mean, I've seen it happen. I mean, we've got team directors that are, you know, that's a high level job that are, you know, 33 years old, um, you know, something like that. So, you know, if you're a good worker and you stick with it, unfortunately, it's just the nature of the business. A lot of people are in and out, um, you know, of of the fast food business. As I say, Mark, I do miss that dynamic from working at Blockbuster, which is almost all corporate. You yeah. know, where you would, where you would see people and they're you know, it's a great customer service person. Next thing you see that they're a district manager, and you know why, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's some stars out there. I have two comments for both of you um, individually, and then one final question. So, Jimmer, I'm I'm seeing here that someone says 
your stores always smell so amazing and that you must pump some sort of scent into there um, and that your avocado toast is um, off the charts. So wow. that's awesome. Excellent. <laughs> and then, Thank um, you for that. I'm glad. I'll, re I'll report Mark, that to our ops team. One of our leasing agents, Mark, says um, he likes your quesarito, which is a burrito wrapped in a quesadilla. <laughs> I'm not sure you're supposed yeah. to do that, but uh, <laughs> they, must, they must know somebody in the Your restaurant. Product. Yeah, I used to I used to do that in the early days, and the ops people would make fun of me. Like, you know, what was the the uh, the crispy taco uh, wrapped with a guac soft taco, right? So <laughs> anything that anything that slows down the uh, the queue, they're not happy about. So. Yeah. There's no like secret right. menu per se. Yeah. Uh, well, I won't tell you which one he goes to in Cincinnati. But um, my yeah. final question for you both is is kind of a two-parter here. What's your most popular menu item? And then what's your personal favorite? So our, our most popular is uh, straw nana berry. It's strawberry and banana. It's really easy. Um, probably after that, there's, there's two, which is uh, acai energizer. Um, people love the acai. It's a great product. And a newer product, which is called Nuts About Protein, which has coffee in it. And I, that may be one of the ones that you tried, actually. Um, but straw that nana berry that is like a milkshake. Yeah, exactly. Straw <laughs> nana berry, I mean, it's something people can easily identify, especially if they've come in first. And kids really love that because it's simple for them to grasp what it is. I don't know what the most popular order is. I, I will tell you that it's not just my story. It's a lot of people's story. They almost get the same thing every time, you know? Yeah. So back in the early days of you guys don't have very many menu items, you know, Steve Ells, our founder, you know, he wore that like a badge because, you know, we don't need it to be complicated to be good. And the less complicated it is, the easier it is to execute. So that being said, you know, I mean, I'm getting the black beans, brown rice, chicken, Mostly, I mix it up, get a little crazy, and do a little steak every once in a while. Uh, I've never had a barbacoa. How about that? It's shocking mm. that people, whatever reason, I, I break out and do it. But and then I get the the corn and the uh, and the guac and cheese. So the, it's almost always the same. And a lot of people do that. We sell, you know, I don't know what the percentages are now, but um, you know, a lot of chicken, but it's either in a burrito or it's in a quesadilla or it's in a bowl. So. You guys should be careful about percentage of chicken sales that certain other restaurants put in as a restrictive covenant <clears throat> saying carve <laughs> us out. We will do that. We will do that. <laughs> other guys, we really appreciate your time joining us. Uh, we absolutely appreciate the retail partnership and we hope to do many, many more deals with you. So Again, thank you from everybody at, at Pico for joining us and your time. And uh, yeah, thanks for setting it up. Good luck in 22, and we will reconnect with you. And thanks to everybody else out there for listening. Thank you again to Mark and Jimmer and to Chipotle and Robex for joining us during one of our favorite events of the year. At Phillips Edison, we thrive when we can collaborate both internally and externally. For more insight into growing retail concepts, subscribe to Retail Intel. To reach me or the rest of the National Accounts team, email nationalaccounts at phillipsedison.com. You can also follow Phillips Edison on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thank you for listening.